Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, <laughs> or people will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. And not Al Murray today, uh, but James Petrie, one of my oldest, greatest mates, because I am in Spain, where Jim lives, and where he is working on a book about the last year of the Civil War. And while I was with Jim, uh, we travelled from Barcelona down to the Ebro uh, on a beautiful winter's day and... 
toured all around the Ebro battlefield and what a fascinating, completely brilliant day it was. And this is what we got up to. I do hope you enjoy it. Um, so we're sitting on the banks of the Ebro. Um, it looks quite fast flowing. Of course, it's November at the moment, so it's a lot harder than it would be in summer. Yeah. And it's about 60 yards wide. Uh, we're in the town of Miravet. And it's got a big Templar castle um, overlooking it and a lovely church. And it's an absolutely beautiful day. But this is one of the key places where the Spanish Civil War really, I suppose, sort of came to an end in a way, wasn't it? This, this is the sort of last roll of the dice here for the Republicans. The Republicans are the democratic forces and the rebels are the nationalists under Franco. Yeah. And we're on the eastern side of the Ebro, which sort of runs down from Aragon, from the mountains in the Pyrenees, sort of down to the sea. Where does it come out in the, in the Mediterranean? It comes out in the Delta Ebro, which is still part of Catalonia, but really on the sort of borders borders of Catalonia. So this is why this is really important. This is the sort of last, as you said, the last roll of the dice, the last chance to sort of push Franco's forces back away from Catalonia, back towards the sort of Valencia region, uh, and to prevent the sort of final onslaught on Barcelona or to hold it up for as long as possible. Uh, so as you were saying, yeah, so this is on the night of the 24th of July, 1938. So really almost exactly two years into the civil war by now. Remember, this is a civil war that was intended to be just a, a very quick decisive military coup over in a matter of days so so franco really for, for franco when he when he launches his first attack it's it's as a coup that's the intention the intention is that the army the church will all rise up and there'll be a very swift sort of denouement and things will be restored uh, to the way franco wanted them you know in a matter of days uh, weeks at the most and we're already two years into the war uh, it's become a really sort of slow grinding affair um and and the republican army is, is in you know, absolute tatters, really, by, by early 1938. And they've been decimated, haven't they, over the yeah. winter of 1937, 1938? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what are the key battles? Teruel and, and... Yeah, the key battles at Teruel, when, you know, again, it's in a very typical sort of pattern, starts off quite um, looking quite good for the Republican army, and then, you know, gradually they're sort of beaten back, and they, they find themselves in these horrific sort of frozen conditions, lots of reports of people with frostbite, and the army sort of retreats back into Catalonia, retreats back towards Barcelona, regroups, and then, I mean, quite remarkably, really, they, they regroup to the extent that they, they're prepared to have this real last, and they're very positive about it, this last attempt uh, in the middle of the year to sort of push Franco back, as I said. And, and the starting point uh, is, is all these crossings of the river um, with the Franco forces on the other side. But, but one of the reasons they've been able to kind of regroup is because the French border has been opened. Like what I hadn't appreciated was that the French border was closed for mm. much of the time. Mm. Yeah, French border was closed just, you know, to prevent uh, well, it part of the, the sort of non-intervention uh, agreement um, to prevent the, the Republican forces being rearmed to the extent that they needed. Of course, they're getting stuff, they're getting stuff from Russia by now. Right. Um, but not a huge amount. And Leon Blum, who is the, um, the French prime minister, I mean, his, his take on this is, is that, you know, he doesn't want to have, you know, France surrounded by fascist states, you know, by, by Italy, by Germany, and then by Spain. That makes France very vulnerable. So he's only thinking, yikes, you know, we need to kind of help the Republicans yep. a little bit, yep. but not too much. No. Because, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be overly political about it. And, of course, the problem with France is they have this incredibly fractious coalition politics all the time where no one can make their minds up. So it's it's sort of typically fudged and kind of half-hearted. Yeah. But it opens from sort of March to June, isn't it? Yep. So you have this window through which armaments can come in. And I think they're getting something like sort of a total of 
24,000 tonnes coming of, of war material and supplies coming at that time. But 24,000 tonnes of, you know, that's not a lot. I mean, you think during the Sicilian campaign in 1943, that's 6,000 tonnes a day. You know, 24,000 tonnes in three months is yeah. not a huge amount. No. And not a decisive amount. And also, when, when are the so they're also they're recruiting middle-aged men, aren't they? And also, um, and sort of sixteen-year-olds. And isn't there, there's a phrase for it? Isn't yeah, it? It's the kind of biberon, which is the sort of baby's bottle core, right. um, which is sort of passed like, into legend. And but those some of those troops are incorporated. Those young boys really aren't they? They're incorporated into this battle. Yeah, into the People's Army, the Republicans' mm -hmm. Army, mm -hmm. and of course, as the international brigades. Yeah, and this is their sort of last stand, really, because. You know, in the in the wider political picture, you've got the the Munich conference going on. Whether you know the Republicans here see that as a, as a real sort of opportunity that eventually you know the Allies are going to realise that they need to to take decisive action against Franco. So you're not going to have a fascist state, you know, in the in the south of Europe as well. And they genuinely think something positive is going to come out of it for them from Munich. Of course, that doesn't happen. But one of the concessions that's made by the by the Spanish Republican government is that they will basically ask the international brigades to go home um, to, you know, make themselves look um, like someone you might want to make an alliance with. So they, they, they send them home. They have this incredibly sort of emotional farewell ceremony in Barcelona in October. They, they march through the streets. And that's the end of the international brigade. So in terms of action, so this is the last action they see. And I suppose the most famous of all the international um, brigades is, is that Abraham Lincoln, the 15th um, international brigade, and that contains different battalions. There's a there's a British battalion, largely Brit British battalion. There's a there's a Balkan battalion. Mm. What's it called? The Dimitrov battalion, I think it's called, which has sort of Greek and Serbian um, volunteers. There's there's one with with Germans in, you know, German communists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course there's the, the American ones as well. I mean, it really is a uh, an incredible mixture of people sort of desperately trying to sort of make that stand against nationalism, fascism, militarism. Yeah, it's but it's, it all buys into that incredibly sort of romantic element that you know stories of the Civil War have always had, doesn't it? But yeah, the Abraham Lincoln Brigade is the first non-segregated group of soldiers that have gone into combat, which is quite remarkable. Yeah, because they've got they've got black black soldiers yeah. in there, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Edward Edward Parker Jr. Well, he goes off and ends up in China, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, fighting for communism out there. And 16 crossing points. So where, where we are, we're in the southern bit. This is um, 5th Corps of the People's Army, commanded by Henri Glister. Mm. And to the north, you've got the 15th Army Corps. Yeah, so you've got these 16 crossing points sort of stretching up, sort of winding up northwards. And then there was another crossing down near the sea. So the Ebro runs out to the sea, I don't know, about 40 kilometres south of here. And there was a crossing that was, was really unsuccessful because... The other crossings, on the other hand, were, were initially really successful. So they get the locals um, to row them across the river on their sort of old-fashioned sort of old fashioned sort of fishing boats. Um, and the, the locals obviously understand the currents. Um, and they, as I said, they, on the evening of the 24th, going into the 25th of July, 1938, um, on a moonless night, quite famously, and they muffle the oars and they sort of creep across the river because, because the nationalists aren't very far away. And, and they do genuinely take them by surprise, which is quite amazing, really. Yeah, and you still feel the kind of... You, you know where this, uh, this particular town's politics lie. There's a large Catalonian flag. There's a seawall, sort of concrete sort of um, flood defences here at the edge of the kind of village square, and it says, you know, freedom to political prisoners, and, you know, it's all quite... Um, yeah, they've made that link, haven't they, between what's going on now and the sort of desire for independence and political freedom and 
and democracy and, and what was being fought for in 1938. You know, they've, they've drawn that link. I'm not sure it's quite as simplistic as that, but that's certainly what's been sort of grasped here. Okay, well, we're going to leave the square and we're going to walk up to the church, aren't we? Have a look down from the church. Yeah. Well, we just climbed up through the village and now overlooking the Ebro, which looks a lot more, um, I don't know, um, significant, I suppose, from up here than it did down below. It really looks like quite a quite a boundary marker. And I've just passed a sign saying, you know, route of the Battle of the Ebro. It's one of the, the routes that, that General Lister's men took after crossing the, the, the River Ebro here at Miravet. And it's a craggy, stony path that cactus plants all over the place and mountains around sort of red rock and just absolutely stunning views of the Ebro and the mountains surrounding there's still swifts here even though it's November um and herons I've seen it's an absolutely beautiful spot but it just makes you think you wouldn't want to fight here Jimmy no and also you get up here you get a real sense of the currents in the river you looking around yeah you do and how actually probably how difficult it was to cross and cross back in November. Right. Well, when are they crossing back in sort of August, aren't they? Probably, yeah, September, October. But when they're crossing back, of course, they're 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 under fire. They're under fire, and the rivers' levels are much higher. Yeah, but I mean, is is there, are the tales of people drowning in the river and being cut to pieces as they're crossing? There's tales of the river just being of blood, you know, being running red with blood. Really? Yeah, and people really just getting over it at the last minute because Franco opens the dams further up and Trimp, which is as you go up towards the Pyrenees, just to make it doubly difficult to cross back. Oh, it's, a real, it's a sort of shambolic retreat by that point. It's 115 days of fighting, and it just ends in absolute capitulation and disaster. And, and that is, that's it, isn't it, for the Republicans at that point? Then, really, you know, at that point, Barcelona becomes besieged. It's not really a siege. It's really, it's remarkably swift, you know, the, the capitulation and that this sort of exodus, sort of north out of Barcelona, up towards France, racing to get across the border into France. Um, when is it, when you, even when they crossed into the border, it was pretty grim. There was effectively sort of prison camps, you know, on the on the beach in Argel sur Mer, um, and then the borders eventually closed under Franco's orders. It's absolutely beautiful, though, isn't it? What yeah. what a place! It really is absolutely stunning. Yeah, which makes it all the more sort of makes more of an impact, doesn't it, when you yeah. think about what happened? Well, it's a more haunting, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, definitely. I, I, but I'm also, I'm just so struck by the kind of mismatch. You, you know, we're, we're just about to sort of go into the Second World War, which is becomes um, a war of, a technical war, a, a completely industrial war, a war of, of vast resources and mechanisation, mm. um, particularly on the part of the Allies, and I suppose to a, to a large extent the, the Soviet Union as well. I mean, obviously they're part of the Allies. But, you know, this isn't that kind of war. This This is a much more kind of... The Republican Army, they're, they're so under-equipped. This is, this is men with, you know, a few machine guns, rifles, grenades, a few mortars. I mean, I think the entire People's Army for the Ebro has 129 artillery pieces. I mean, I mean that's just, that is just nothing. No, but, no, and I agree with you, because what they meet is a fully mechanised Or <laughs> Yes, machine. you know, they've got 300 tanks, you know, mostly coming from Mussolini, uh, yeah. 300 artillery pieces... Yeah. And they've got the Luftwaffe, you know, they've got the Condor Legion. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got my old friend Hayo Hermann bombing them to hell and, you know, Adolf Gallant shooting them up in his Messerschmitt and, and so on. Yeah. Well, actually, if we look down the river, what we can see, you can see these two sort of mountain sierras. And, and that's where the, the retreating Republican forces get, they get trapped on there. You know, trying to dig in, and you've already talked about the soil, it's just impossible. You know, yeah. the thought of trying to sort of try and 
get some kind of shelter here. They get stuck on those and they're totally exposed. Well, and the problem you have when you've got very, very thin soil, like you do here in mountains, is that mortars and um, bullets and everything have much more killing power because, of course, of the ricochets. Mm -hmm. um, and not only are they ricocheting around, what you are doing is they're chipping bits of rock and you get these razor-sharp rock shrapnel, effectively. Yep. I mean, shrapnel, obviously, is from the, the shell rather than the stone, but shards of rock coming in that can sort of, you know, kill you in a trice yeah. or give you a sort of absolutely grotesque wound. And, of course, you know, when you're impoverished as an army, one of the first things to go is your medical care. Mm. They just don't have enough of anything, do they? They don't. It's interesting, though, that they've got... One of the things they do develop is the sort of early idea about blood transfusions. Oh, that's interesting. That's a, a female medic. Just further up the Ebro, there's a sort of blood transfusion station, which is, you know, obviously quite ahead of its time. So we're now on a kind of doing a big eight-mile walking circuit up into the mountains. Um, and we've come about... We've driven about ten miles, eight miles north of where we were at um, Minavet, and we had just walked out of a town, little village called... Pinel de Bray. Pinel de Bray. And we're walking through olive groves at the moment, pine trees, and it's a Sunday morning, but people are chopping down olive trees as far as I can make out. That's what that noise is in the background, and lots of winding roads ideal for motorcyclists. Um, but what's the significance of this this part of the world, Jim? Um, this is this is where Fifteenth Corps were operating, isn't it? And that's um, General Manuel Magana. Taganya. 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 And he's extraordinary because he's he's not even thirty and he's a corps commander. Yeah, and that's quite significant, isn't it? And what it tells you about the state of the the people's army at that point, perhaps. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're we're kind of sort of used to hearing about mid twenty something. Infantry battalion commanders in the Second World War by the sort of end of the Second World War, but yeah, that's very, very young to be a corps commander. Yeah. And of course, within 15th Corps is the 35th Infantry Division, and within that is the 15th International Brigade, otherwise known as the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. And this is the brigade that's got a British battalion in it, a Greek, Serbian, Balkan battalion, an American battalion. There are Germans, there's Belgians, there's French. It's a real mishmash, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they're fighting up here. And, and what's happening, so, th so this is the other side of the Ebro. So this is the, the western side of the Ebro. So that this is part of the area. So, so they cross, the, the Republicans, the People's Army, cross the Ebro on the night, late July. Yep. And then they take the Nationalists completely by surprise. Uh -huh. And they push across, what, sort of 10, 12 miles, something like that? Yeah, they push across till they get to the town of Gandesa, which is beyond the, the mountains that are in front of us. And it's there that they sort of come up against the, the nationalist counterattack. Um, right. So really, the, you asked about the significance of where we are. I suppose it's significant at that point. So, you know, when, they, when things start to go wrong and the Republican forces find themselves sort of stuck out on these two mountain ranges ahead of us, the Sierra de Cavals and Sierra de Parols, and they're really, you can see ahead, they're really sort of craggy. Yeah, they it's really, really are. It's really harsh terrain. Yeah, it um, reminds me of Sicily a bit. Yeah, and as we've talked about previously, you know, they're really under-resourced on every level. A lot of the reports talk about, you know, the appalling state of people's footwear, for example. They wore these, quite often they wore these very Catalan, uh, they're sort of espadrilles that sort of tie up your leg, but they would have been cut to shreds on, on this kind of terrain. And the town that we walked out of and the path that we're following would have been, you know, a key supply route yep. to those troops who are up there and they're still looking down on Gandessa, yep. um, but they're being bombarded all the time and trying, you know, desperately trying to dig in. 
So, so we're going to wind our way up, and um, there are various. There are trenches up there, the remains of trenches, and yep. there's also this quite famous memorial, which was relatively recently discovered to a, a small group of international brigaders who lost their their lives up there. And one of those is Lewis Clive, who's quite a really interesting figure. Sort of epitomises the romance, I suppose, of the international brigades in the Spanish Civil War. He's a Cambridge graduate. He won a rowing gold medal um, in the 1932 Olympics. And he uh, lost his life up here. He was also actually an inspiration for one of the characters in Mary Wesley's The Chamomile Lawn. So, you know, it's a nice sort of typically sort of heroic figure. And when you read reports from him at university, hugely principled, and then follow those principles through by signing up for the, for the Republican army and losing his life out here. Well, this is, this is a really good... Um, you can see why this would be used as a supply line. We're in a little sort of valley within a valley, I suppose. You know, we've got high slopes. It's quite narrow. Um, you know, so you've got that offers quite a lot of protection. The only way you're going to get hit coming up here is indirect fire. And of course, um, nationalist guns could have zeroed on here. But you can see at night, you know, mule trains would have been able to get up to the front comparatively mm. easily. But the problem that the uh, Republican army have is, is the, the problems that anyone has when they're attacking. Is it's just incredibly difficult to attack. and It's actually comparatively easy to defend um, if you've got superiority in, in firepower. Attacking when you without that superiority is just hopeless. I mean, you know, you think about the sort of the deep battle that the Red Army was carrying out by 1944. You know, they were often attacking with 40 to one advantage. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the Western Allies wouldn't attack unless they knew they were going to ultimately win just through kind of weight of of, of fire. And the, and the People's Army are, are attacking against an army which is superior in number and in terms of armament. So it's, a, it's absolutely a lost cause. I mean, it's just, it's just never going to happen. Well, it's time to take a short break. Uh, see you back in a minute. Welcome back to We Are Ways of Making You Talk, where I am with James Petrie, and we are wandering around the battlefields of the Ebro. We're about four miles into our, our walk, and we're now in... Laval Closa. Yep, the, the Closa Valley, which is a bit of an unusual... It is, as the name suggests, it's a sort of closed-off valley without a natural exit. And we're standing in a, a little sort of rest zone for the Republican troops. And we've just gone past little caves, haven't we, under the, where they're just sheltered. Mm. And you can really see why this would be a rest area, because we've got a sort of high rock face, sort of perhaps, oh, I don't know, what's that, about 150 feet, something yep. like that, high above us, surrounded by pine trees. Um, and then... I guess sort of a quarter of a mile away on the other side, there's a, there's a sort of a winding road um, down which the motorcyclists have been having a field day. And another really sort of really steep rock face. But you're yeah. really, really closed in here, aren't you? And there is no way artillery shell could come in here. No. It, it simply couldn't. The only thing that could come in here is a mortar shell. And that's not going to get over the top of this either. So you can see why here for the Republican forces, for the People's Army, that, that this is an absolutely ideal place and I've got to say just sort of walking along there you suddenly see these little caves and sort of scrapes underneath the rock mm. and it's not hard to imagine those no. Th no those soldiers back then in their espadrilles and their sandy khaki jackets and mishmash of uniforms and primitive rifles and, yep. and bandoliers you know it's all pretty basic isn't it uh, are the pictures you see and yep. it's incredibly atmospheric and you would imagine that this hasn't changed a huge amount in the sort of last 80 years, five years? No, not at all. But you, as you say, you get a sense of them, you know, obviously they'd, they'd be able to hear what was going on, you know, 
the few, hark the sound of musketry. Few meters as Churchill once said when he was yeah. on the front line in Italy. It really reminds me a lot of um, this bit. is is quite casino esque. Mm. I've got to say. Anyway, onwards, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see the International Brigade Memorial. Well, we haven't actually gone to the uh, memorial to the International Brigades. We've gone to the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, the 15th International Brigade's command post for this battle. And it's very, very well sighted. It's dug out of a, out of a sort of sheer rock face. Um, the whole host of shelters, there's just one old wooden table presumably put in here since to sort of indicate where it was, but it's incredibly well sighted. You can have fires here, no problem at all. And in fact, it looks like there's sort of remains of, of, of sort of smoke on the, on the rock, which suggests you've had a fire here. Although maybe that we need that for cooking, I suppose. But you know, it's quite hard work getting up here. I'm not gonna lie. You know, it's just why I'm sort of sounding a little bit out of breath. And it's November. <laughs> and no, it's November, not it's, not, it's not August, when obviously it would have been absolutely, completely scorchio. This place is completely impregnable. I mean, no, you know, the only way this would be taken is if, you know, nationalist troops were, came around the edge of the rock and sort of, you know, shoved you out by the point of a gun. So it's very, very well sighted because no artillery is going to come here, so you're absolutely safe as houses. The problem is, of course, that by sort of grimly holding on to kind of dug out bits of cave and a rock face isn't going to win you a battle and it's certainly not going to win you a war. Um, That's like you were saying earlier on the, on the way up. I mean, the only way they can make progress is by exposing themselves in the open, isn't it? And yeah. That's, and that's the next step from here. And it's never going to happen. Even now, you can feel a whole sense of sort of, I don't know, powerlessness. You know, it's absolutely futile. It comes across very strongly, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it reminds me so much of the, of the dugouts that the Germans made on the Gothic line. You know, similarly hopeless, really. You know, on the Lee side, you know, if you go up to sort of, um, I don't know, Monte Altuzzo, for example, on the Gothic line, you've got all these reverse slope shelters, sort of not dissimilar to this. Yeah. I suppose what's quite... You also get a sense of, you know, if they're going to retreat, what they've got to retreat over. We're looking out on it now. Well, they've got to go back down the winding valley. To... Yeah, but they, get, they end up having to get people across here as well. Oh, well, the other side... So yeah. I should just say that what I'm looking at now is the mouth of the cave... And, uh, you know, we're in a very sort of winding, tight valley, the, what do you call it, the Val de Closa? Yeah, Val de Closa. And, you know, quite a steep, you know, 300 foot high, kind of rock face the far side. Maybe I'll take a picture of it now. But yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? It's, it's definitely, definitely very, very atmospheric. We've done quite a climb, haven't we, Jimmy? And we're, we're sort of nearing the crest of the ridge. Uh, we're still on the leeward side and we're standing by the memorial to the International Brigade, and it's, it's pretty basic. Was this laid down in 1938? In th yeah, 1938, it's got it written on it there. Um, and who's, oh, I can't quite see what it says here. It's it's so overcovered with sort of, covered over with lichen and things. Yeah. This, the, the, is that, that fell, fell in the 19th of August, the, 1938. Wow. But this was only discovered in For the offensive, wasn't it? Yeah, the Emperor Emperor. offensive, yeah. So this had been covered over, I guess. And you can see why, because it's quite—it's just a slab of stone in the ground. There's a there's a flag. Is that an international brigade's flag? No, that's the flag of the Spanish Republic. So it's sort of oh, a, is it? Yeah, with the purple. It's the. I tell you what, that's a, that's quite a strong flag actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still increasingly you see people flying it. Wind getting up, but it's amazing to be here, isn't it? I mean, you know, you can hear the wind, can't you, in the in the fir trees and 
We've yeah. just been walking past a whole load of little dugout scrapes into the into the side of the mountain where the Canadians, the Canadian International Brigade, used as a yeah, that's right, as a rest area. Yeah. They're a key part of the 15th International Brigade, aren't they? And there's a little sort of there's a little cache of rusting food tins over here and bits of pottery and whatnot. Sole of a shoe, by the looks of things, old sole of a shoe, I'm guessing. Um, recovered on the 1st of the 10th, 2000. It's amazing. Yeah, and the memorials to, the, to 37 members of the International Brigade who died, and I think I'm right in saying there are three of them are, are British names on here. Is this where your friend um, Lewis Clive is? Yep. He's on there somewhere. He is, yeah. It's. I, I've got to say that it's. It's. You know. It's. It's quite chipped and worn, and it's basically a slab of concrete, isn't it? And a little, a little stone here with the flag painted on, with no Pazaran. They will not pass, which is the, the rallying call for the republic. <laughs> Except that they did. Yeah. So we're now in a sanger. Like a stone sanger, this is where the International Brigades were, this is where the 15th Abraham Lincoln um, Brigade was. And we've had quite a climb and, and, you know, we've gone past absolutely sheer precipices. You'd have been moving up to this position from the, from the rest area where we were earlier, which we can now, you know, we could see just a moment ago and you can see why it was where it was. It's really tucked away into a little sort of chasm between the mountains and, and now we're kind of sort of only just on the reverse side of the, of the summit. And this carefully made rock sanger, um, I guess this would... You know, this is, it's, what is it, about sort of 12 foot by 6 foot, something like that, with mm -hmm. a kind of sort of entranceway. You know, the whole whole hillside, mountainside, sort of smells of herbs, of of sage and thyme and, is that rosemary? Rosemary, yeah. Rosemary. And, it, and it's just, you, you can't help but imagine, Jim, kind of walking up here in the middle of the night. You know, th this is when you'd have come up. You wouldn't have been doing this in daylight, I shouldn't think. No. Know. And, and you know it's it's quite a it's quite a tough climb this isn't it? Yeah, it's a really tough climb, and we're sort of wearing stuff to go walking in. I mean, they'd have been laden down. Yeah. yeah, I keep thinking that, and I keep thinking it just feels really, really foreign. And if you are a you know a British volunteer, who's or joined Canadian, these, yeah, or yeah, exactly, who's come from you know majority came from obviously industrial cities, towns. It must have felt so foreign, and you must have so wondered what on earth you were doing. It shows extraordinary sort of commitment to a cause, doesn't it? It doesn't adjust. And just sort of coming up here with your rifle and just sort of, you know, a couple of hand grenades, and it's yeah. just so, it's so hopeless. You know, if you, had, if you had lots of artillery pieces in here and you had lots of mortars and stuff, you could sort of, you know, maybe. But, but, but most of them were just so badly equipped, and it's just, you're, you're clinging on to this sort of, rocky kind of herb crusted mountainside yeah. you yeah. know today in the november sunshine it's absolutely stunning you can see from you can see we can see 30 40 miles can't we yeah um to the far side of the of the ebro incredible views but there's one thing doing this for for fun but fighting here yeah, and the accounts you read is people like desperately sort of chipping away at the hard rock to get any kind of shelter, any kind of you know protection from the from the planes flying over. Really desperate. Yeah, and and the the number of people killed here is quite extraordinary, isn't it? And you know, as I say, we're in it's November now, and and we're we're, we're you know we're, 
lovely kind of mountain scents are kind of um, coursing through our nostrils. <laughs> but in August 1938, lots of sort of dead strewn out across the mountainside. It must have been an absolutely appalling place to be. Yep. Yep. Incredibly atmospheric. I, I'm just, I can't tell you how much I'm loving this, <laughs> this walk and, and just this insight to the battle and what those guys went through. Well, we finished our epic hike um, through the mountains. Um, and that was extraordinary, wasn't it? Because it, it really gave you a flavour of the scale of things. And, you know, I bank endlessly on the podcast about how important it is to walk the ground. But, boy, that's just been a, that's such a vivid demonstration of that. Yeah. It's been fantastic. And then we've, we try to work out where Hill 481 is, which is a sort of key feature known as the pimple. Um, just outside Gandesa, which is about as far as they ever got, isn't it? They didn't yeah, quite get into Gandesa. No, that's where they ran aground, didn't they? And they got to absolutely stuck trying to take that hill. Repeatedly kind of sort of onto the top of it, then kind of yep. pushed back again. And that's yep. the problem. And, and, you know, what would have happened there is they'd have just been caught in crossfire. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can see that people would have just zeroed in on that. Um, and it's very it's very similar. And it reminds me of um, 0.593 on um, Monte Cassino where it just took them such a long time to work out what the defences were around it, and they just kept capturing it, then being forced back, capturing it, forced back. You have to kind of completely overwhelm more than half the defences either side of it Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of take a Mm -hmm. a position like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But now we're we're in a ruined village. Yeah, we're in Cobrera de Ebro, which initially was taken by the Republicans on on the 25th of July as the Republicans moved west. Uh, and then as the Republicans were pushed back, it's one of the last villages through which the, the 15th International Brigade fought on the road that runs alongside it. And then the village is absolutely destroyed by the, by the Condor Legion. You know, by the, so this is the Luftwaffe? Yeah, the Francoist Air Force, yeah. At the time, it's absolutely destroyed. And, it, and it's a sort of, I suppose, some of you will know Orador. It's, a sort of, it's got a hint of that to it, hasn't it? In yeah. the way that it's just been left uh, and, the, and the villagers move their village down a little bit further down the side of the side of the valley well the difference about orador is that orador's not destroyed so it, you, you still have complete houses there mm. whereas this is a completely destroyed village and if you want to know what a destroyed village looks like after the luftwaffe have been um at work and sort of two and a half thousand people used to live here it's yep. a massive church yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah, huge that, church. That, that's still standing but the roof knocked in the kind of you can see that the tower the bell tower has been badly knocked about but the street we're in now i mean oh my goodness it's just it's extraordinary. It's just, it's just, it's horrific, really. Mm. You know, all those lives just completely shattered, homes utterly destroyed. I mean, the whole place is completely destroyed. So you've got jagged walls left up. Trees um, growing through walls. Trees yeah. going through ivy and things like that. But you've got occasional house, which is still standing, but, but you know, only just sort of rusted iron, wrought iron balconies on stone. Um, and it And it's just... It's really sad, isn't it? It is. It's also sort of really symbolic of the way the Civil War was dealt with. Because we were just talking, weren't we? And it's not been left as a kind of... It certainly wasn't left as a memorial at the time, of course, because the Nationalists won. It's just been just left. And people have just got on with their lives, left it to one side. Moved a bit down the hill. Yeah, and it's only recently, you know, in the last 20 years, that the idea of making it into some kind of memorial is being considered. Yeah, incredible. And, of course, you know, Franco wins in... Barcelona falls in when, March 1939? January 39. January 1939, and that's really the end of the war, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of a mop. I mean, the war isn't declared ended till, till April. Um, Madrid is, you know, falls at the end, chaotically, you know, Madrid falls. Um, 
And then, uh, we, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, you've got this huge rush of refugees, you know, desperately trying to get up the coast, flooding out of Barcelona um, to get through the French border, where, the, where they're interned in these camps on the beach, which is, you know, they, they, it's really grim. Uh, and then from that point, you get this movement of, of people, a lot of them go off to live in sort of Mexico or, you know, f- few of them return to Spain, of course. Yeah. And some of them end up fighting, of course, um, for, for the Allies in the Free French. Yeah. Entering oh. Paris on the 25th of August, on 1944. The first tank, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and Franco stays in power till 1973. I just 75. 75, yeah. Jesus, it's incredible. And, and early on, we are talking about all the kind of sort of appalling murders of republicans the sort of people who would hold out in the, like maquis in the in the hills yeah i mean that went on to the, until i understand until the 1960s people just sort of hid away in the pyrenees so you know further north from here um you know occasionally sort of doing disruptive raids still you know living in hope that somehow they'll be able to get rid of franco um and they were yeah, brutally got rid of brutally hunted down garroted well. yeah still using the garrot right up through to the 70s um i think the last person who's garroted is about 1973 4 around that kind of time which is just horrific, horrible, isn't it? Horrible, yeah. yeah. And the legacy still being felt, of course, because there's a Catalonia kind of independence movement. Yeah, which that is, all, that's all. Its roots, back to all its that. roots are in are in the Civil War, aren't they? That's you know, so that there's a, a clear line of connection there. Yeah, sometimes not as simplistic as it might be made out to be, but it's definitely, definitely there. And it's interesting how the Civil War is just now is constantly talked about. You know, on any given day, there are a huge number of exhibitions on, books being written, films being made, documentaries being made. You know, it's a, but there wasn't, was there? Because part of the transition of power from Franco to King Juan Carlos and, and democracy again yeah. was... What was it? The, the Well, the transition, key, key elements of the transition were the Pact of Amnesty, which was an amnesty for anyone um, involved in the, in the war on either side, and the Pact of sort of Forgetfulness, which was a sort of an agreement that it wouldn't be spoken about, that in order to you know, smooth this transition from dictatorship to democracy, one of the key elements was not to rake up the past. And so it wasn't, it was suppressed. Um, and then it all comes to the surface in sort of early 2000s, 2004, five, that kind of time. And that's with the advent of a left-wing yeah. democratically elected government. Yeah, when it's agreed that actually they should start to look for some of the places where these bodies have been just you know, thrown by the sides of roads and that they need to be dug up, properly buried. Um, and that's that, that sort of momentum from that point is you know still still running to this day. So they're still finding bodies and still looking for them and yeah, yep. And now you can do sort of big walks in the mountains where there's photographs of international brigades on little outposts and things that we've just done. Yeah, I think in Catalonia, it's, I mean, it's it's they've got you know a very clear line of who they supported during the civil war. I mean, obviously right. not everyone, but it's a bit more clear cut here. I think in other parts of Spain, it's more complicated. Yeah, and they're still a bit you know confused about you know how they should commemorate or remember what happened. It's really, really still a cause of great sort of conflict and argument. Well, I think it's been it's been an amazing day. Uh, really fascinating to do that walk fascinating to come here I, I just can't get over i mean i've just never heard of this place yeah and and it's so dramatic it, it and it's so moving mm. to see these streets and you know you can't help but but sort of you see the people you, don't you You see the people <laughs> you can imagine the kind of you know the laughter the screaming children all yep. that kind of stuff um people wander around getting around their everyday life and it's just it's just you know nature's taken over but but it's just it's it's the ruin of lives and and you just see it just imprinted here in the in the rubble and rotten timbers and stacks of walls and what a good way to finish our our tour of the battle of the air bridge absolutely yeah
Well, that's it for today. And what an amazing day that's been. I know Al disapproves of fearing into the Spanish Civil War, but for me, there's all sorts of links with the enormous conflict that followed. And let's not forget that it was a Spanish tank crew that were the first to enter Paris on the 25th of August, 1944. And if that's not a link to the Second World War, I don't know what it is. So cheerio for now, or rather, adios. Thank you.